Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. And uh, we're finishing our First Things First series this morning and uh, our verse-by-verse study through the book of Haggai. And listen, I would recommend that you put a bookmarker in this, in this little book, three chapters from the end of the Old Testament. It is such an impactful book. Anybody getting anything out of this? Man, it's been awesome. It has been so good. Such, we need the reminders of really making sure our priorities are straight. And Haggai is a great book to align our hearts and say, listen, to really kind of confront our hearts and ask ourselves, what are we really living for? What am I doing? Am I really living for the Lord? Am I living for myself? Who, who, has my, who has my heart? Who's sitting on the throne? Kind of capture all of those things and as you go through the book. And what's interesting about it is the way that it's set up is you have, uh, really, there's four messages in, in the book of Haggai. Message one and message three are confrontational. They're meant to kind of ruffle your feathers a little bit and, and really get you thinking about what you're doing. What's interesting is messages two and four are encouragement. They're, try, they're meant to encourage you to, to press on towards the prize, to really live for the Lord, to give the Lord everything that you have. And isn't it interesting that God would mix in this little book confrontation with encouragement, that he wouldn't just confront us and leave us confronted, but then he would encourage us. That's the God that we serve. That's why he confronts us, because he wants us to move. And so he confronts us, he convicts our heart, but then he comes right behind it and he encourages us and he loves on us and he ministers to us. He is a God of justice and he is a God of grace. He is a God of of both and he wants you to know this morning that he loves you so much and he's going to encourage you this morning. You want to be encouraged? Stand with me and let's read Haggai chapter 2, the last three verses of this book. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. We thank you, God, for speaking to Zerubbabel personally in this chapter and how you're going to speak to us personally as well. Will you come by your spirit, Lord? Will you speak into our hearts? Will you, Lord, help us to remove any facades that exist, any lies that we're believing? God, penetrate our hearts this morning and speak to us and transform us, we pray, by the power of your spirit through the blood of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I kind of don't like that in his name. I kind of just like saying Jesus. Jesus is better. So remind me of that. I I need to say, in Jesus' name, because it's in the name of Jesus. Amen? I like the name of Jesus. Well, listen, a few years ago, I had a dream. 
and I was driving a cargo van. You know, like, I guess I had some secret desire to be an Amazon delivery truck driver or something like that. I'm not sure. But I was driving this van, and it was empty in the back. There were no seats or anything. It's just there was no, you know, any kind of blockage between the driver's seat. There was a passenger seat, and then it was just open in the back. And what, what I noticed as I was driving is that it was a nice day. It was sunny out. You know, it was in the middle of the day it appeared. And uh, I noticed that it was very busy, though. There was people everywhere driving along in this really wide, maybe five or six-lane road. And it seemed to be in the middle of a city that where the, the buildings were built right up to the sidewalk. You know, I thought maybe I was in New York City, but it was too nice. So maybe I was in L.A. or something. I'm not sure. But, um, but I, I, as I was driving, I was taking notice of all these things, and the road was really windy. And so I'm, I'm cruising along. I felt like I was going fairly fast. And as I was driving along and everything, I, I, um, I started to notice. Now, you have to understand, I'm watching myself in third person. So I'm like up in the van, on, like in the ceiling. I don't know how I'm hovering or whatever, but I'm watching myself drive. You know how your dreams do that? It's so weird. Wouldn't it be weird if you could do that for real? Be like, man, I don't look cool right there. Maybe, oh, maybe I should change it. But so I'm watching myself, and I'm watching myself start to nod off. I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting tired. Man, I'm so tired. And all of a sudden, I watch myself fall asleep. And before I know it, my eyes open, and now I'm in first person, and I'm being rocked back and forth in this van, and I get thrown into the back part of the van. So I'm in the back part of the van. I look up at the windshield. I'm totally aware. Fear has totally gripped me at this point. And I'm looking, and I see a curve coming up. And I see buildings on the side, and I see people everywhere. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to get to the steering wheel. And as I'm trying to get up, the van is rocking me back and forth, and it's accelerating. I don't know how, but it's going faster and faster and faster, and I cannot get up to the driver's seat. And I, as right before I started to, the van, I watched the van start to make a tumble, I woke up. And as I was reading Haggai chapter 2, that dream came to mind. Because it, there, there was a very real sense of helplessness that I have from that dream. A real sense of just total inability in that moment, I couldn't control anything. I was at the mercy of God and whatever he was going to do. I was doing everything that I could to get to the wheel, but I couldn't make it. And I think that's how life is sometimes for us. I think sometimes we're tossed in the back of the cargo van, being tossed to and fro from the waves of our lives, different circumstances and all the things going on in our lives, and we feel helpless. We feel powerless. But here's the thing is, God is in control. God is in, in control. Even though we feel this way, there is something bigger in the picture. Someone is watching. Someone is orchestrating. He, someone is moving in, that, in the midst of that situation, and he is not helpless. And he is not powerless. And he's for us, and he's not against us. And sometimes when life hits us hard, we can forget that. And that's where I believe Zerubbabel is in this moment. He's feeling helpless. He's feeling powerless. And here's what I know about God. When we're in those situations, we're in those moments, 
He speaks to us. And he speaks to Zerubbabel. Notice that the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Now, if you just look right back up to verse 19, you'll see the first time the word of the Lord came to, uh, to these people, to the people of Israel, on the same day. Some mid-December, 520 B.C., a couple months after they had already been going forward and laying the foundation of the temple and all of that. And, and the Lord comes to them. And remember the word from last week. Remember what God said. From mark your calendar. Mark this day. From this day forward, I will be with you. I'm going to bless you. You can't see the blessings that are coming, but they're coming. So mark your calendar. Isn't it interesting that he speaks to the nation regarding that? But here we have Zerubbabel later in the day, for some reason discouraged. For some reason, he's, he's not grasping what God just said, that God said, I'm going to be with you. And if you're anything like Zerubbabel, you can go, oh yeah, you're going to be with them, Lord, but not with me. You're going to be with them, Lord. You're going to work on their behalf, but not on my behalf. And you start to doubt God's plan for your life. Zerubbabel is in an interesting situation here. He is, there's some promises that have been made. There's some things going on in his life that he can't, he can't get a grasp on. He can't understand how God is going to work these things out in his life. Anybody ever been there before? Lord, you said this, but here I am. And I can't see how you're going to get me from here over to here. You see, Zerubbabel is the rightful king of Judah. He should be sitting on the throne, and he's not. He's a pawn for the Persians, simple governor, a simple ruler, a simple sort of representation of the Persian power that governs them. And his focus is that. I'm supposed to be king, but I'm a Persian pawn. I'm a governor. Lord, how can you orchestrate this situation. I guess the promise to David is over. I'm the only one that can fulfill that seat. I'm the only one that can sit on the throne. And because I'm not, I guess the promise is over. I guess we're hopeless. And that is not the case. God wants to remind Zerubbabel in this chapter that God, he is at work. That although there is a king over them. And it's interesting that the Lord mentions the king's name in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Haggai, King Darius. Then we get to verse 10 of chapter 2, and he just says, Darius. And now we get to the end of the, the book, and he doesn't even mention Darius's name. That is because God is king. He's the one at work. He's, he's working behind the scenes. And, and Zerubbabel needs to understand that the promise will go forward. God will do what he said he was going to do. That promise, if you're not familiar, is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 to David. And it says this, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. 
Now, Zerubbabel understands that promise, but he can't see how God is going to work it out. Listen, whatever God promises, he will do. Whatever God promises, he will do. We have that assurance from the Lord. We see that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And yet, for some reason, we think at times that we're the exception to that rule. Hey, can I bring you down a level? You're not. You're not the exception to that rule. God is faithful. And He will remain faithful. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. That He's going to do everything that He said He was going to do. Something else that you need to understand is that His plan and the way that He orchestrates it is not your plan. Right? The way that we would get from point A to point B is entirely different than the way that God would get from point A to point B. You know why? Because we would take the easy road. We would pick the path of least resistance. But, but God puts resistance into our lives because he's training us as, at the same time he's doing something. But his plan is still at work. He knows exactly what he's doing. Listen, do you know that everything he does has purpose? It says it in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. There's not a single thing, a single circumstance, a single moment in your life that God hasn't known about and already orchestrated and been using for you, for your good. Now, you can't see it, I know. You don't understand it, I know. But the Bible says our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. And so we trust him. How many times has God let you down? Never. Is he going to now? No. He's faithful. He will not let you down. He's at work. Listen to what God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. I have planned, so it, so it shall be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Now, some of us need to hear that this morning because we're facing situations where we're, we're going, Lord, is this part of the plan? Listen, if you're walking through it, it's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. That isn't to say that he orchestrated every moment and he's the one that's responsible for whatever it is you're going through, but here's the thing is, it's all in his plan. The enemy means it for evil, but God is going to use it for good. And so it's all part of his plan. And I'm going to show you here in a moment that even though the enemy has what seems to be free reign, it's not really free. It's given power. It's given authority to do certain things, but he is not free to do whatever he wants. God is the only one that is in control of everything. So the enemy has limitations to what he can do. And God gives him the power that he does have. So Rubbabel has a couple problems here. First, he has a prophetic problem. He's trying to understand why, how God is going to orchestrate the fact that he's supposed to be king and he's not. And so he's, he's, he's wrestling with this. He also has a political problem. You know, there are forces of darkness working against him to stop him and the, and the people of Israel there from completing the work that God had given them. The surrounding nations the, were enemies of the Jews and they did not want this temple to be built. Does that sound familiar? Is that not still happening? Is the enemy not trying to continue to stop anything from happening on that temple mount in Jerusalem today? 
Absolutely. Listen, he's not unique. He's doing the same thing over and over and over again. He's going to try and oppress Israel, but it will not work. God's hand is upon that nation, and God is in control. God has a plan and a purpose for Israel, and he's orchestrating it exactly the way that he wants to. Now break that down into your own personal life. The same goes for you. The enemy is at work to stop God from building whatever he's trying to build in your life. And God is allowing him to work in whatever ways because God's trying to show you something about yourself. He's trying to help you understand like where you are with him, where you lack faith, where you need to grow, where you are disobedient to him. And he's trying to reveal those things. And uh, listen, those things don't necessarily come out unless we have some hardships in our life. Sometimes it's the direct opposite. Sometimes we're so blessed that we become so sinful. You know, the enemy knows you, and the enemy knows what you struggle with. And so he's going to do whatever he can do to get you to trip up as much as he can. But listen, God is on your side, and he's at work for you. He's doing the things that only he can do. The political scene that Zerubbabel is facing is, is although you know, he feels helpless in this situation, he feels powerless in it, God is in behind it, and he's at work in it. How did these people even get to a Babylonian captivity? Because God orchestrated that. Why did God orchestrate that? Because the people were disobedient. The people weren't following the Lord. So the Lord said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you that disobedience yields destruction. So let me show you what that physically looks like. And he says, you're going to be carried off into captivity. And Isaiah was, pre- was, was preaching this message before it even happened. He was telling them, for 70 years, you're going to be in captivity. For 70 years, you're going to be in captivity because you were hard-hearted and disobedient to me. I can't help but as I read this text, think, Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I'm disobedient in my walk with you, even though the cross has come and Jesus has shed his blood for me, there's still an accountability in my life to walk in obedience to the Lord. We have this concept that the Old Testament is the Old Testament and the New Testament is the New Testament and that the God of the Old Testament changed somehow and the New Testament, he's not the same God. He's the exact same God. The Bible says he doesn't change. He has the same level of tolerance for sin and evil as he had in the Old Testament. The difference is that we have a means of being made right before the Father through the blood of His Son. That's the difference. But don't think for a second that God won't take you into exile in the moments that you're being disobedient. Let me remind you that Ananias and Sapphira are in the New Testament and God struck them dead for lying. There are many, many examples in the New Testament of people walking in disobedience to the Lord and God doing something about it. Listen, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a good God. He's always been a good God. He's not an angry God in the Old Testament and a loving God in the New Testament. He's always been a loving God. He's always been a God of grace. He's always been a God of mercy. And in fact, when you get to the book of Revelation and you start to read it, if you're reading it as the Old Testament God that is angry, you're reading it wrong. It is God's last-ditch effort to reach lost people. It is God trying to shake the world, saying, I'm here. Will you turn your heart to me? That is the point. 
You don't think for a second that the wrath of God being poured out from heaven is enough to pay for sin. It's not a payment for sin. It's a wake-up call. That's the point of the tribulation. It's a wake-up call to the Jew, number one. But it's a wake-up call for the rest of the world. And do you know this? The greatest awakening that has ever happened in the world will happen in the tribulation period. It will happen when God shakes the foundation of the world and people recognize, whoa, he exists. He's real. The entire nation of, 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 of Israel will, will awaken their eyes. They'll see that Jesus is the Messiah. They'll begin to follow him. 144,000 of them will be anointed. They'll be to, um, sealed with the Holy Spirit and they'll go out and they'll preach the gospel to everybody here. And guess what? You and I, I don't believe we'll be here. I believe that we will be watching from heaven. And then when Jesus comes, we're coming with him, and it's going to be awesome. God has not changed. He's the same God. He wants you to live in a way that, that is so different than the world that they look at you and go, why are you living like that? What, why do you have hope in situations that seem hopeless? Why do you seem to have strength when it looks like you should be powerless? Why are you? Because of Jesus, that's why. Because my God loves me and he's at work in my situation. Listen, God is in control of everything. He's in control of how far that coronavirus spreads. He's in control of every tsunami that happens. He's in control of every tornado that happens. He's in control of everything that is happening. And all that he's doing in the midst of that is trying to get people's attention. Does he have your attention? What does he have to do in your life to get your attention? You're here this morning, and, and he loves that. He loves that he has your attention. But what happens when you leave here? Does he have your attention? Are you walking to please him? Are you doing the things that would honor him in, in those moments? Listen, he's at work in every circumstance and situation. He is the one in control, not the enemy. The enemy has, again, limited power. The only thing that he can do is what God allows him to do. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think if you were Satan that there's a problem with that? Like, I got to keep checking in with God to see if this is okay. Like how, I will become like the most high God, but let me check on that. Can I become like the most high God? No, okay, I guess I can't. So I'm going to try my hardest to sway all these people. Can I do that? You're going to let me limitly do that. It's all, he's limited in what he can do. I, I, I'm, I'm saying this because I thought this at one point in my, my early, early Christian days. Let me tell you this morning, maybe you're at that place I was. God and Satan are not equal. God and Satan are not equal. Satan is created being. God is the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy one. They are not even in the same universe, folks. Created being versus creator of all things. Who's in control? God's in control. That means, listen to me, when the enemy's coming at you and he's trying to trip you up, God is in control that moment and he's allowing it for a reason. So embrace the Lord in those moments and walk through it faithfully because God's trying to show you something. He's trying to, trying to awaken your hearts. Listen, he's telling Zerubbabel, listen, Zerubbabel, you need some encouragement. You're struggling prophetically and you're struggling politically. And so 
you know, what the Lord does is he encourages him in both of these areas. So we see the, the prophetic side of it, encouragement here in Haggai, chapter 2 at the end of the verses here that we'll, we'll go through. But, but let me draw your attention to another prophet that's speaking during the same time. His name is Zechariah. And, and, and because Zerubbabel is struggling so deeply with the political scene that's going on, God gives him a word. In Zechariah chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, and he says this, then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to me. This is Zechariah speaking. He says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And guess what? Guess what? By the hand of Zerubbabel, the temple was finished. Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. Another prophet speaking in the same time says this, on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius was when the temple was complete. It took them four years. Four years from the time of this resurgence of the time in 520 B.C. It finished in 524 B.C. They, they wasted 16 years of doing their own thing. And in four years, they completed the temple. It was back erected. It wasn't as glorious as it once would be. But remember, the Lord told them it will be more glorious than any temple that's ever built because this temple will be the same temple that the Son of God comes down and sits inside. Although Herod would, would make it more grand than it is, it started with this. You know what I love about this Zechariah passage? Don't despise the days of small things. Sometimes we think like, Lord, you're not using me really in any grand way. And he says, yeah, but I'm using you. Don't despise the days of small things. It might seem small in the moment, but listen, I'm doing something great. You remain faithful to me. So Rubabel, or you, Christian, you remain faithful to me in the small things and watch what I will make of it. Listen, you might not ever, ever really recognize on this earth the things that God has done from the small things that you've done. But I trust you, there is no small thing in his eyes. Every, every interaction you have with a, a human being, every conversation, every word of encouragement, every time you, you tell somebody about the Lord, God takes note of, and he's using that. Don't despise the days of small things. You never know what God's doing through you. Stay the course. Continue to press on and do what the Lord's putting on your heart to do. He's telling Zerubbabel, you're going to finish the temple, man. You're going to do it. Why? Because you're powerful and because you're able? No, because I am. You're helpless. You are powerless, but I am all-powerful and I am never helpless. I'll be working in this situation to make sure you do that. You just show up to the, to the foundation and keep doing what I tell you to do and it'll all put itself together. There are five statements that the Lord gives Zerubbabel here to encourage him regarding his prophetic problem. The fact that he's not understanding how in the world are you going to fulfill or satisfy this requirement regarding the promise given to David and how do I fit in this picture? 
because frankly, I'm kind of bummed out that I didn't get to really sit on the throne because these people were disobedient and then we got carried away to Babylon. Man, I feel like I got the short end of the stick. You ever been there? <laughs> God says, dude, you don't even understand. There's not a king that God mentions like he mentions the Rubabel that he says, I have chosen you. I'm going to make you my signet ring. Check this out. There's five statements that he makes. The first one is regarding the, the, the heavens and the earth. He says in verse 21, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. Now this, this phrase, I am about to, it's future tense. It could be translated, it is almost time for me to, or soon I will. It's as if God is telling Zerubbabel, just hold on tight. I'm in control and I'm going to make something out of your mess. I'm at work. I'm going to do something. I'm about to do something. Just like he just told these people a few verses up, I am going to be with you from this day forward, even though you can't see the fruit, the grain in the barn, and you can't see the fruit coming from the trees. It will be there. It's future tense. He's telling him right here, this is future tense, but I am about to do it. I'm about to do this. What is he talking about? He's telling Zerubbabel that God is about to strip every dominion from its power. I will shake the dominion of heaven and earth and every dominion, every authority, everything that seems to hold itself up and above in some kind of authority, I will strip down and I will show you that I'm sovereign, that I am the king of kings. And that's what he's telling him here. He's using the same language that he used in verse 6 of chapter 2 here, and he's telling him that he will reign supreme over all, that he is going to show himself to be the sovereign Lord over all. Not only this, but he also tells them in verse 22, I also am, I, I will be overthrowing the thrones of the kingdoms. I'm about to overthrow the thrones. God is, is letting Haggai know in this moment that anybody who's sitting on a throne will sit on a throne no longer because there is a king coming that will be the king of all kings. He will be the Lord of all lords and he will himself reign on this earth over all. He will have dominion over everyone. He's obviously speaking about the millennial reign of Christ and the, first of all, the, the, the cascades that lead to that event of the tribulation period where God is going to cause nation to rise against nation. He's going to have all this stuff, cataclysmic things going on at the same time, but at the, what he's really ultimately doing is he's stripping authority away. He's stripping dominion away. He's showing who is really ultimately in control on this earth. And at the end of that seven years of God saying, I'm here, look up. I'm here, look up. Jesus Christ Himself will come down and He will step His feet upon the Mount of Olives and He Himself will make His way into the temple and He will sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. Amen. The Lord Himself will come and He will rule. He's trying to help Zerubbabel understand that there is a bigger prophetic picture than just his moment sitting on the throne in, in Jerusalem. But God is going to use this moment to orchestrate that one. And he doesn't even understand that. He's helping Zerubbabel understand that he is ultimately setting up the throne of David for, for all of eternity for Jesus Christ to come and reign and rule on this earth. That's what he's doing. 
He's the only one that can do it. He's the only one that belongs on that throne. And, and the Lord is telling him, listen, even though the horizontal seems like that's not taking place, it is. It is. Trust me. Not only that, but listen, he goes on and he says this. He says, I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. Now, the Bible talks about God being almighty, all-powerful. He is, who can stand against the Lord? The answer is no one. No one can stand against the, the Lord. He, there is no strength on earth or in heaven that rivals the strength of God. He will destroy the strength of all kingdoms. Listen to this, with a rock that is not cut with human hands. With a rock that is not, what am I talking about? I'm referencing Daniel chapter 2. You might know the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. I mentioned it before a couple weeks ago. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has this dream, and he can't interpret it as people can't interpret it. He has a dream of the statue. And so he calls all of the, the sorcerers and all these people in, the wise men and all, and he says, why don't you tell me about this dream? No one can tell him the dream. Then he, he hears about Daniel, and he says, Daniel, you come tell me about my dream. So Daniel prays, and God gives him the interpretation of this dream. And here's what it says. I'm gonna, you can read the whole story in Daniel 2, but let me just read the summary of what, as Daniel interprets the dream in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. He said, in, in the days of those kings, speaking about the king of Babylon, Persian, uh, Greek, Roman and a restored Roman Empire in the tribulation period, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another, um, nor shall the kingdom be left for another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to the end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and, and the gold, all those different things that made up that, that statue. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and it is interpretation sure. What, what Daniel was talking about in this moment was speaking about Jesus. He's the stone that is not cut by human hands. He's God in the flesh. He wasn't made. He wasn't created. He's always been. He's not cut with any kind of human hands. He is God. And He Himself will come down and He will destroy the kingdoms of the nations. Jesus Himself. And you know what? It's already happened on the cross. The power has already been stripped because of what Jesus has done. He, in fact, he has, he has shown His strength over our public enemy number one, which is death. Jesus has shown that there is no strength even in death for those who are believers because he has stripped the power of death. He has overcome death so that we can overcome death. There is no kingdom. There is no nation. There is no strength that stands before the Lord. He alone is the strong one. And so he's telling Zerubbabel, listen, I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nation. Not only that, and I'm going to overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of the, with the sword of his brother. The mention of chariots and riders and horses and swords is speaking of weaponry. It's speaking about those things that they used as weapons back in that day. What God wants the rubble bell to know is that there is no weaponry, earthly or spiritual, 
that will withstand the strength and the majesty of King Jesus. He will overthrow all weapons of our enemy, making them either obsolete or, listen to this, useful for the building up of the kingdom of God. What do I mean? God spoke a word to Isaiah, and he says this in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 16 through 17. He said, Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager uh, uh, to destroy. No weapon that is formed against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. God is the one that formed the, the one who, who produces weapons. He's, 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 he's the one that formed the, the one who creates destruction. And what he's saying is that he is sovereign over them. He's 100% sovereign over them. There are no weapons that can be formed against you. Who's the you? He's talking about the servants of the Lord. Of course, he's speaking of Israel, but he's speaking of the servants of the Lord. Are you a servant of the Lord? This applies to you. No weapon shall be formed, uh, shall be formed among, or no, what, let me just read it. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall, be, shall succeed. What is God saying? Notice he didn't say it wouldn't hurt. Notice he didn't say that it wouldn't have some, some bearing in your life somehow. But what he said is it won't succeed. Here's, here's the flip side to the enemy doing things in your life is that whatever he does, God also does at the same time. He can never win. God takes the sword that's drawn against you and he transforms it into a trowel and he starts to build you with it rather than destroy you with it. What I'm saying is that the weapons that are coming against you, God transformed them into things that will build you up if you allow him to. If you fight against the Lord and you don't understand Lord, I don't want to go through these things. And you kick against the goads as Paul was doing. You'll never experience the building up that God wants to do in your life. I, I say it again. If God has allowed it in your life, he's doing something good. So here's the thing is those adversities, those difficulties that we go through, the circumstances, we need to just suffer through them well and allow the Lord to, to do what he wants to do in our lives. I can tell you just from a personal note, some things that I've gone through in the last few years have been incredibly difficult, but as I look back, God has brought some things up in my own heart that I need to deal with. Things that he's shown me that like, hey, listen, you're, you're strong, but you, know, you think you're stronger than you really are ultimately. I want to show you some areas in your life where you have some weaknesses that I want to strengthen, that I want to build up. And if I just go, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, and I push, my, push away from the Lord, then you'll never see the, the building up that he wants to do in your life. Don't do that. Listen, circumstances and situations are meant to press us into God, not push us away from him. He's doing something. He's taking the sword that's being wielded against you and he's transforming it into a trowel that he's using to build you up. Don't resist that. It's a good thing. That's why James said in James chapter 1, I know for a long time I was like, dude, I'm not, I don't want that. I don't want various trials. I don't want to consider it pure joy. I don't like trials. I would rather just have the easy road. But understand, those various trials are useful, and God's doing something. 
So he's telling Zerubbabel, I'm going to break down every weapon that comes against you. It will not succeed. It will not stop you from doing what I um, called you to do. Why? Because my plan prevails. My plan prevails. Now check this out. This is the, the, the best part of this entire verses here is where God speaks. He speaks really all directly to Zerubbabel in a very um, powerful way in verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetiel, declares the Lord, and make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is a personal word to Zerubbabel of encouragement. And he's saying, hey, Zerubbabel, I'm not done with you. I'm at work. I know you can't see that, but I'm going to encourage you right now. I'm at work. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make something great out of you. So you just got to keep pressing on. You just have to keep pressing in. Your life is not meaningless. The things that you're going through are not meaningless. I'm doing something. You can trust me. And so he goes on to tell him, I'm going to make you a signet ring for I have chosen you. You know what that is? Know what that means? That he's going to make him a signet ring? A signet ring in this culture is a token of royal authority, much like a throne, a crown, or a scepter. <coughs> God, is, God is telling Zerubbabel, you have not lost your royal heritage, Zerubbabel. You're my signet ring. You're the representation of royalty in this moment. So don't be discouraged. It's not looking like you wanted it to look. But you still have that royal lineage. You are still my man in this moment. And you've been there. And you yourselves know you can say like, Lord, it doesn't look like it. Well, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what he said. And what he says goes. He's going to do this. And he's telling him, Listen, I don't care what it looks like. You are my royal authority in this moment. You represent David in this moment. And I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you in such a way that you can't even imagine why. Because I have chosen you. I've chosen you. Here's the interesting thing about Zerubbabel. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus you'll know something about Mary and Joseph. That both Mary and Joseph have their genealogies lead back to David. David had uh, two sons from, uh, two specific sons that where the, the lineage split off. Uh, the, the, his third son, Nathan, who was probably named after the prophet Nathan, uh, was where, where the line of Mary comes from. Mary, down the road of Nathan, comes down that path. She represents the genetic line, the bloodline of David. Solomon, however, he's the fourth son of Bathsheba. He represents the royal line of David, the one in which the, the kingdom of Jerusalem came down from. Zerubbabel is from that royal lineage of Solomon. He's, he's coming that way. What God is telling uh, here, here, what he's telling Zerubbabel is, this entire thing could stop right here had it not been for you. Use a rubber bell 
You're the only one that can do this in this moment. And he's thinking, poor me. Poor me. And here's what I would say to you. What is God doing in your life? You might not have a royal lineage. You might not have a genealogy that fits somehow into some. You don't know what what the Lord's doing is the reality of it. God is at work in your life right now. Your life is so special. Let me tell you that God chose you to exist in this moment. God chose you to be his signet ring in this moment, in this time period, in this day and age. Where we look around and we go, man, the world looks like it's falling apart, God. I don't know nothing I can do about that. Listen, God is calling you to be his chosen one in this moment. You, are the one, you, are, you have a purpose. Just like Zerubbabel did and he didn't understand it, you may not understand it either. But listen, so here's the thing is, I love Pastor Chuck's wisdom in this. When you encounter those things that you don't understand, you fall back on those things that you do understand. When you don't know what God's doing, you, you just fall back on what you know that he's doing. In other words, you just say, Lord, I know you love me, and I know that you're at work in this situation, so I'm going to just trust that. I can't see what you're going to do in my life or how you're going to use this in somebody else's life or whatever, but I'm just going to trust you right now in this moment. That's what I'm going to do. I don't have to see what's coming. I don't have to see how you're going to use it because I'm just going to live in this moment. I'm going to trust what you've already told me. You're chosen. Listen, Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You might not feel chosen today. Your circumstances may be blocking you from being able to see that, but that doesn't make it, make it not true. He chose you. He said he did. If you're in the family of God this morning, it's because Jesus chose you personally. He chose you to, to be his representation in this, in this time. And listen, you might feel like I felt in the back of that cargo van in your life right now. You might feel helpless and powerless. You might not understand how in the world you're ever going to get to the steering wheel to get this thing under control. But listen, that's not your job. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to try and get it in control. He's got it in control. Remember, we're not the drivers. He's the driver. We're the passenger. We're the vessel that God is using in this moment, in this period of time, in, this, in our culture, to represent Christ. So as Zerubbabel was back in this moment, so are you today. And the Lord wants to encourage you this morning. You, don't, you may not see what he's doing, but he is doing something. And it's something grand and great, way farther than you ever could think of. When you stand before the Lord one day and he says, let me show you what I was doing, your mind is going to be blown. I promise you. You don't understand how God's using you in other people's lives. And listen, you will never understand that if you don't, if you don't step out and start living for the Lord and, and representing him well. God has a plan that will never fail. And that's a personal plan for you. It will never fail. He's about, as he said to Zerubbabel, he's saying to us today, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm about to overthrow the thrones and destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations. I'm about to disarm the weaponry of this world and establish the physical throne of David through his son very soon. Very soon. God's plan will not be interrupted by anyone. 
and it will come to pass just as he said it would. Listen, will you this morning, this is going to sound a little harsh, but get over yourself and let the Lord use you today. Let the Lord do his work in you. I, you might be hurting. Listen, understand that God, we're grieving with you. It hurts us to see people hurt. We rejoice when people are rejoicing. But through all of that, over the big umbrella, we know that God is at work. And so that in and of itself is an encouragement because you're not just left to yourself like, hey, figure it out. God is in control. He's at work. We want to grieve with you. We want to rejoice with you. But ultimately, we want to be reminded this morning that God is in control and that everything that he's doing, he's doing for a reason. And so embrace it. Let him love on you the way that he's loving on you and just, you know, continue to be faithful. He will not fail you. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just reminding us, Lord, through this book, the book of Haggai, Lord, that we are called We're called to be people that are of priority. That we don't get our eyes off of you and, and get our eyes living uh, on other things and we, we don't want to chase anything else, God. We want to chase you this morning. And we thank you for this series and reminding us of the need for, for us, Lord, to come into that place of just uh, re-examining our own hearts and seeing, Lord, if there's things that I need to change, help me change. We ask you this morning, Lord, that uh, you would help us to uh, just respond to this message this morning. Lord, in, in a matter of just recommitment to you or surrender to you or whatever it is, however you your spirit moves us to this morning. But, Lord, we re we're reminded that you're in control of everything, that every circumstance that, that comes into our lives has crossed your desk. And you're using it in our lives. Help us not to be discouraged in that, Lord. Help us to allow the things that need to happen transform our lives. Lord, we're, we're in a spiritual battle. We know that. But life is almost like, it's almost like walking into a gym. It's going to hurt going in. But the transformation that will take place, if we allow it to, will be awesome. And so we want to be changed and transformed and strengthened in your spirit. So do that however you see fit. Lord, use us in this culture, in this world, Lord. And just uh, we just pray, Father, that you would uh, encourage those here this morning that, that maybe aren't seeing it that way, that are, are frustrated with the circumstances that are going on in their lives. Lord, would you just minister to those hearts this morning? Will you help the, those who are hurting, Lord? Will you come alongside those who need strength this morning? Will you give us the right perspective, God? Come by your spirit, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.